Good morning, Summit Church, and welcome at our campuses across the Triangle. I have two very exciting things for you uh, this morning as we uh, get started here. The first is standing up here on stage with me um, are the two of the teams that we're sending out to plant churches uh, around the United States this year. To my left, we have Mike and Ashley McKee and their team, part of their team that is going down to Atlanta, Georgia. And to my right over here, we have Cam and Tamar Triggs who are leading a team planting down in Orlando, Florida with their team with them. I tried to get them to where Disney ears to so you could separate the two, but they just wouldn't do it. But um, these are our two church plants, two of the eight that we're actually planting this year um, uh, for, out of the Summit Network. Um, they are taking with them uh, all the people that you see here on stage, plus a lot more that uh, some of them have already moved or at different campus locations. But um, they represent 50 people from our church that are going out to plant these churches, which is always bittersweet for me. Bittersweet because what I have learned over the years is that the kinds of people that volunteer to go from our church on church plants are usually not sideline people. Uh, they're usually people that are very involved in ministries and are very generous. Uh, you recognize that. Some of you are looking up here and you're seeing friends, you're seeing ministry team leaders, and you're like, wait, I didn't know that you, know, that you were going on this church plan. Who's going who's gonna to lead my ministry team? That's a great question. The answer is you are uh, next week when they're not here. You're going to step up into that, but um, they leave a gap. They leave a gap in our church. It's very costly. It's very painful when we go through this, but it's also joyful because let me tell you what we have learned now after having done this for a few years. In three years, in three years, what we found over a three-year span is that for every one that we send out, by year three, there are 20 new people worshiping in the places where we send them. Businessmen and women, you show me another investment where you get a consistent 20 times return for everything that you invest. I just don't think there are that many of them. So Summit Church, this is in part our offering to um, what God is doing here in God's kingdom around the world, and we celebrate with them. We rejoice with them. Could you put your hands together at all of our campus locations and celebrate these that are here? Let me, give you, uh, let me give you one other kind of exciting dimension of this. Um, joining the Orlando team are 18 uh, from Mercy Hill Church in Greensboro, a church that we planted about five years ago that now averages around 2,500 each weekend. They're sending 18 to be a part of that church plant, which means, uh, well, actually, just so you know, that's more than we are sending on the Orlando church plant. So Summit, <laughs> congratulations, you have church planting grandchildren, and they are officially bigger than you are already. Uh, so we are just so excited. By the way, Mercy Hill last week baptized 55 people, 55 people in Greensboro, North Carolina. So let's put our hands together. This is these two plus the other six that I said were planted out of our church this year represents um, the 227th church plant that we have done. Um, since this started back in 2007. 2007, we felt like God gave us a vision of planting a thousand churches in our generation. And when I threw that out there, the universal response was, how in the world can we do that? And my response was, I have no idea, but I feel like God has put it in our heart. And so we began to just ask God how he would have us do this. And here we are, um, not even 10 years into it, and we're already at 227 church plants. You say, how's that happening? Well, obviously the power of God, but in part, it's the power also of compound 
interest. Uh, churches that we plant are now planting other churches. Um, we had always said a thousand churches in 40 years, but I will tell you very, very confidently, by the grace of God, at the rate we're going, we're going to be at a thousand by around year 20, uh, so in about half the time. So we're super excited about that, which leads me to my second thing, is uh, we're going to commission them uh, this morning uh, to go, and this, they're, they're launching out to go plant these churches, and to offer our prayer of commissioning is perhaps the most special guest that we ever have at the Summit Church. Um, we, uh, this all began, humanly speaking, 56 years ago when um, a man named Sam James and his wife, Rachel James, um, had, uh, they were, uh, had just surrendered to God to be missionaries in Vietnam. Uh, go be church planners over there. When they got news that one of their two sons had, um, had, had something going on with his heart and they needed to spend some time at Duke Hospital and so they had to delay a year. And they were very confused about it. And they said, you know, God, why would you be delaying us? We really want to get to, to Vietnam where you've called us to go. Um, but they were here for a year and, and, and Sam James said, well, uh, God's calling to plant churches over in Vietnam. That's probably what I should go ahead and start doing here. And so they got together a small core group and in 1961, they planted the Homestead Heights Baptist Mission. Um, in 1962, they launched that as the Homestead Heights Baptist Church, which in 2002 changed its name to the Summit Church. We have the privilege of having here with us today our founding pastor, Pastor Sam James. So would you put your hands together and welcome him. At all of our campuses, why don't you stand to your feet and let's honor Pastor Sam James. Pastor, um, Pastor Sam James, uh, he, uh, for the, remain standing if you would for just a minute. Um, Pastor Sam James, uh, the story that I've heard is that he only preached officially one sermon at the church because he worked with a core group for a long time. But then the day they launched the church, um, he preached one sermon. And then that afternoon, he drove to Richmond, Virginia, where he was commissioned to be a missionary in Vietnam for the next 40 years. The sermon that he preached was from Isaiah 54, 2 and 3, where God, through the prophet Isaiah, tells Israel that what he is doing in them is not just for the sake of them. It is for the sake of the nations. And he said, I want that vision to identify and I want it to characterize the future of this church. Um, that is the legacy that he gave to us. And so, Sam, Pastor Sam, we have a very small gift for you. Uh, pastor Mitch is bringing up, he's our international missions pastor. Uh, this is kind of a, a plaque here uh, that just gives the vision of a thousand churches in a generation. You'll see little blue dots. I know you can't see it real well, but you'll see little blue dots there that represent places we planted churches. You'll see a kind of a bright orange dot here that uh, represents the work that you did in that region of the world that you know very well, um, the region of Vietnam. And so um, this is the legacy that you have given to us that we, by God's grace, are uh, continuing to see happen. I, I talked to Pastor Sam yesterday, and uh, Pastor hey, Sam said, you know, he said, when I planted this church, God gave me the vision of it. He said, but I had no idea the way that God would fulfill it and how he would multiply it. Uh, the verse that came to mind was that verse where the Apostle Paul um, was talking to the Corinthians, and he said, you know, he said, one planted and another watered, but God gave the increase. Some of the church, you need to understand that you're not here because of the vision of an 85-year-old man 56 years ago. Uh, you're not here because of the vision of a less than 85-year-old man uh, <laughs> who's been here a, a lot less than that, but you're here because God um, is building a church, and you're a part of it, and that means because we didn't start it, we're not the ones who sustain it, and we don't have to worry about us stopping it. 
We get to be a part of a wave of what God is doing, and this represents a faithful legacy that God has given to us and our founding pastor. So, Pastor Sam, I'm going to ask you if you will pray for our two teams up here, and then Pastor Sam is going to preach God's Word and tell some stories that will completely ignite your faith. That's what he's going to do with us this weekend. You guys have the privilege. You get the varsity level, the ultimate kind of angelic level prayer. Um, my prayer would not do nearly any as much as what Pastor Sam is going to do. Um, Summit Church, all of our campuses— um, if you're uh, a regular here, you know we do this. I want you to actually stretch out your hand. Um, that represents symbolically us laying our hands on these as Pastor Sam uh, leads us in this prayer of commissioning. Okay. Our dear, gracious, and heavenly Father, we come to you today rejoicing. This is a very special day you've made, Lord, and we just rejoice in it because you've identified places where you want a church, and then you've identified your servants, and you've called them, you've equipped them, and now you're sending them out to plant that church that you want there. Oh, Father, we, when we think about what you do and how you use us, we're just overwhelmed and so thankful, grateful for it all. And Father, I pray for these teams as they go out that you will even now be totally cleansing them so that there will be nothing in their lives that will hinder the, the ministry that you've given to them and the flow of the love which you placed in their hearts for those people. Father, that that will not be hindered or broken in any way. So Father, we just put them into your hands and Father, like a piece of clay, mold them, Father, into that vessel that you want them to be and that you'll use in that place. And Father, I pray for this church and all of the satellites around. Father, that you will lay on their heart the burden for these teams as they go out so that we are always in prayer for them, supporting them, concerned, and helping in whatever way we can. Father, I just pray that you will continue to use these teams as they put together the church, which will then put together other churches and plant other churches around, even around the world, Father. And that is our vision, Father, and the vision that you've given to us. And so, Father, we want to just uh, ask that you would take them now and give them everything that they need to do what you have called them to do. And we ask that in the very precious and holy name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Pastor Sam James. You may be seated. You may be seated. Okay. Well, what a great joy and privilege and honor it is to be here with you today and to have an opportunity to share a little bit from the Word of God. Uh, Thank you for this privilege. It's uh, such a joy to come to a place where it's just amazing. I, I think back to uh, those 50-some years ago when uh, we were so disappointed and discouraged at uh, being delayed in going to the mission field we'd prepared for for so many years and just about ready to get on the ship, and we had to wait to uh, correct a problem in one of our children in, in the health. And, uh, and I remember these five laymen who gave me a call and they said, uh, 
Sam, we understand you're delayed for a year going to the field. And we're going to plant a church out in the northern part of Durham. And we'd like to, we really need a church planter to lead us and to help with this. And would you consider doing that? And I said, yeah, I'm ready. And uh, God called me to that place. And we moved into a little concrete block house with, with uh, just maybe three rooms and a little kitchenette and uh, began working in that area. And God just blessed in a great way so that on, uh, in less than a year, we organized that Homestead Heights Baptist Church there. And it limped along for a number of years and it was very traditional after a while. What we tried to do when we were setting up that church is uh, the five laymen and I, we, knit, we prayed one day, all day into the night about what kind of church do we want to see God plant here in this place? What should that church look like? And we worked through that and prayed through it. And we came up with about five things that we felt we wanted that church to be and it would keep us on track as we planted it. Because that time we didn't have anything yet. We just had the five men who were committed, wonderful, godly men. And we said, first of all, that we want Homestead High, this church whatever is planted here, to, to have the Bible as its authority. And we, everything we do, we want to be consistent with what the Bible teaches us, with Jesus Christ, our Lord, as we plant this church. And another thing we said is we don't want to take people from other churches. We'd like to win people to the Lord, help them to come to know Jesus and come into the church. And uh, people who don't have a church, we want to have a church for them. And another thing we said we wanted to do is we would not give any attention to this color of skin or the level of society or the wealth or whatever. We just want people who come to know Jesus to come to our church, come into our church and to be a part of that church. It'd be a church of great diversity. And uh, another thing we said was, and this was the bottom line of the whole thing, we want a church that will reach out to the entire world. Now this is 50 some years ago, and uh, we were deciding we want this church to make an impact from its front doors all the way out to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so with that, we began to visit and, uh, and, and see people come to know the Lord, and God blessed and then the church, you know, over the years, I went on to the mission field, and, uh, as, uh, and, and it's really something for a church, this first pastor, to, for the church to send the first pastor out to the field. And uh, so that kept the church kind of looking at uh, its horizon is beyond where they can see out to the ends of the earth. Well, the church went through some up and ups and downs over the years and uh, became a little bit traditional and uh, maybe left some of the principles we wanted to establish. But then in comes Dr. J.D. Greer, young man with the blessing of God upon him. And he took that church with just maybe 200, 250 people and look what it is today. God has worked through that church and, and brought about the summit, which is now, I don't know of any church that has such an outreach around the whole world. And uh, you're sending them out. You're a part of that. And you can rejoice and be glad in that. What a great church and what a great pastor you have. I just 
love him to death. Uh, I just wish, he makes me want to go back. I tell Rachel all the time, I wish I had one more life. <laughs> I'd love to have it. And he's talking about 20 years, you'll reach your goal. Well, I'm 85 and I want to be here. <laughs> I want to rejoice with you at that time. I don't know if I can do that. Abraham lived to be 120, you know. You know, maybe there's hope. <laughs> anyway, I'd love to be here and, and rejoice with you and meeting that goal that I don't know of any other church in existence that has had a brave, bold goal like that. And you are fulfilling it and you can be glad. I'd like to share with you a little bit from the Word of God this morning. Just one verse, just one verse, and just two words from that verse is what I'd like to share this morning. And it's found in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter and the 12th verse. And if you would like to really study the, the first and second chapters of Corinthians, beginning with that 12th verse, you will find in there that Paul is talking about interpersonal relations, how to conduct yourselves in the midst of a world and, uh, and with each other. And I call them Paul's principles of interpersonal relations. And you can ferret those out. But this morning, I'm just going to deal with, uh, with this 12th verse. And, and here's what he says. Now, this is our boast. And, and that word boast doesn't mean he's arrogant or he's uh, boasting about what God is doing, what God has already done. It's, it's a word of great humility where this is what I glory in. This is what I'm grateful for. This is what I, I, I wanted for my life. He says, this is our boast. Our conscience testifies. Our conscience gives witness to this and testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world we have behaved in the world. We've related to the world, uh, ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, the church. He's talking to the Corinthian church, but all the churches in that day. In the holiness and sincerity that is from God, that are from God, we have done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. I want us to look at those two words that he says, we conducted ourselves among, in, the, in the world and among you, especially among you, with holiness and sincerity. Now, Paul was a master at the Greek language. That was his mother tongue, really. And uh, he was a Roman citizen, but he really knew Greek. And he wrote from that, from that uh, with those words that are so meaningful. Greek is such a specific language, and he was a master at choosing the right word to use in the right place. And this word that is translated here, sincerity, in a lot of different versions, it's translated various ways. It says holiness and frankness, godly frankness, godly holiness. A lot of different words are used, and they all have a, an idea and a perspective on the, on the word. But the word he uses is a very old word, and in Greek, uh, you know, I made the, the I, I majored in classical Greek at Wake Forest University, something that doesn't put any bread on the table. <laughs> but what I wanted was to have the original language so that when I'm a missionary and I'm going to another language to, to look at the word, I want to go from the original to the language I'm preaching in. And it's been such a blessing to do that. But he uses this old word, eilekrino, 
I, now you, you're going to remember that, I'm sure. Uh, Ile is from an old ancient Greek word which means the sun, S-U-N, the sun. And krino means to judge. So when Paul took this, he just uses it twice here in this letter, once in the first chapter and second, and one other time in the New Testament. That's the only time that word occurs. But it means when you put those two words together, to bring something into the light of the sun to be able to see its true worth and its nature. For example, you take a clear stone, like a topaz or maybe even a diamond, and you try to look at it uh, under a candlelight, as they would have had back in his day, or a lantern, or under a light bulb even. And you'll see some things, but you don't see it with utmost clarity. And, uh, but if you take it out in the sun, and you hold it up to the sun, you can see every little scratch or scar inside any dirt or trash inside that stone, and you can see the worth of that stone. And so he took that word and brought it into his own life. And he said, I want to live my life. I want to behave in the world in the light of God so that everything in me is lit up and can be seen. It's like using the word transparent. And just think about what that means. If Jesus is living in you, and filling your life, then when you go out into the world and into your community, into your job, wherever you are, and you are transparent, what are they going to see? They're going to see Jesus in you because that's who's filling you, and you have brought your life into the light of God, which lights up and shows all that is in you. And so your life becomes a praise to the Lord, whoever you meet, wherever you are. And I pray every day, like Paul has done here, Lord, make me transparent. I've walked those little alleyways in Vietnam and even my time in the Middle East and North Africa and over in Central Europe and, and, uh, and Western Europe. And I've walked those little streets and alleyways so often. And sometimes I, I pray as I walk, Lord, don't let them see me as a foreigner. Don't let them see my white skin or my, at that time, brown hair, <laughs> or, or my round eyes. <laughs> but Lord, let them see what is in me, what is determining my life and guiding me in this world and in their midst. And sometimes I, I wonder, what are they saying about me when they see me in those alleyways and, and visiting people and ministering to people and standing up there in the pulpit. What are they saying? What are they thinking about me? That he's a great preacher? No, I don't want that. That he knows the Bible? No, I don't want that. I would love for them to see one thing and one thing only, and that is that Jesus is living through me. Somehow, some way, he's expressing himself. To me, that's a missionary. <laughs> which all of us can be. And you know, when I get real serious about this, I, I have to say sometimes, I wonder what Rachel is thinking of me right now. What does she say about me, even to the Lord? I wonder what my children are thinking about me as their father, as their dad. Do they know me? 
What do they see when I relate to them? Do they see Jesus? I think of those people I work with every day, and so many of them are believers, and sometimes I feel so guilty because I'm surrounded with such wonderful people all the time uh, working with me. And, and I want to be out there in the world where they don't know Jesus yet. And I wonder, what do my co-laborers think of me and see in me? Do you ever think that way? Where you work, where you, where you live, what your neighbors think when they see you come in? Oh, there's the guy who radiates the presence of the Lord Jesus. Or there's the guy that something is really different about him. Or that's the girl, the lady whose something is really different about her. I don't know what it is, but I like what I see. That's what Paul is saying. I can, we conducted ourselves in the world. And especially toward you who are in the church. With a transparency that you can see the Lord Jesus. Look at the other word. The other word uh, is translated in a lot of different ways. In the New International Version I've just read, it's holiness. But in some of the other words, it's uh, godly frankness or something like that. And it's sort of correct. But it's another specific Greek word. And it's a pretty old word. And I know you're going to remember this one too. Pleroo is that word in Greek. And it means... Oddly enough, it means to braid something together. Like a lady will take her long hair and weave it together, all together, until she's got a beautiful pigtail back there. We have those in Asia all the time. And I love it to see a beautiful woman's hair in a, a pigtail. And she's taken all those loose ends that are scattered everywhere and brought them all together into one unit. She's braided her hair. And I, I'm an old Navy man myself, six years in the Navy. I know something about ships and boats and ropes and so forth. But, you know, we take the small ropes and we weave them together and they become that strong rope that we tie to the dock and we tie to the ship. And no matter what happens, that ship is going to stay steady because it's got, that, it's got all those loose ends wound together, which alone are weak. But when you put them all together they become one strong thing that holds that ship in place. And Paul took that word, which is a very secular word, and brought it into behavior, believe it or not, in which what he is saying is, I did not come into the world, or especially among you, with a whole lot of agenda that I want to accomplish. I, I didn't come to you wanting to give you a lot of stuff. I didn't come to you wanting to take a lot from you. I didn't come to you wanting to tell you what you ought to do and what you ought not to do. I didn't come here to discipline you. I didn't come here with a whole lot of different agenda. What I came with, with was one agenda. And that is to show the Lord Jesus in His fullness so that you can come to know Him and follow Him. That was my agenda. And boy, what a... What an agenda that is. If we're going to reach this world for the Lord, we have got to have a clear agenda in our life. And that is to let people see Jesus, the glory of God. You know, back uh, Jesus, back in, in John's gospel, it talks about 
him being the only son of begotten son of God, full of grace and truth. And when you see Jesus, you're seeing God as it were, because he is God in the flesh. And then when Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead and he appeared in that upper room that you studied in the last couple of weeks, he appeared to his disciples and what he told his disciples right off is peace be with you. As my father has sent me, I am now sending you. Just didn't, didn't just say that to the, to the disciples. He said it to everybody who would come to know him. As my father sent me into the world to reflect the father's glory to, to people who couldn't know and see and feel God himself, God became flesh and dwelt in our midst. We beheld his glory as of the only begotten of God. And then he says, as my father sent me into the world, I am now sending you. You see, that's the agenda that we go to the field and we go with the community around us to do two great words. I'd, I'd like to share a couple of stories, if I may, uh, to kind of illustrate what I'm saying. Uh, back at the beginning of the second Iraq war, I was asked to transfer from Vietnam to the Middle East and uh, kind of walk with our folks out there and, and, and be in Iraq where you had personnel at that time. And uh, so Rachel and I moved out to the Middle East and uh, for six years we worked among the countries in the Middle East. And there was one country which I cannot name in North Africa where there was a people group of around over a million people that spilled over into several different countries. There was not one Christian among the whole people group. They were all Muslim. And, uh, and you have one of the missionaries, the personnel there, who was trying to reach that people group, having a difficult time. But he found in the capital city uh, a whole uh, group of that people group living in the capital city and working in the capital city. So he began to work with that group in the city. And 27 people came to know Jesus as a result of his witness. And, and they were meeting in little small groups, each group not knowing about the other group because the government uh, has a law that if you convert from Islam to Christianity, you are subject to be put to death. And they have executed people because they converted to Christianity. And it's a very troubling law, but it's there. And so they were meeting secretly because it's very dangerous to become a Christian. And they're meeting in these little groups and this group didn't know about this one. They didn't know each other, but very secretly. And he said, now that we've got 27, we need to have a worship service and let them meet each other and rejoice in the Lord. And he said, tonight, I'm getting them all together in a very quiet place. And I'd like for you to come and share God's word with them. Would you do that? I said, yes. <laughs> it's waving a red flag in front of a bull. <laughs> so I went and he took me down these little narrow alleyways back to a little house. And there those 27 men were gathered. Actually, there were 29. There were two who weren't believers, but relatives of the people in there. And I shared from 1 Corinthians 15, where, where uh, Paul defines the gospel. What is the good news? And he talks about the death of Je the birth of Jesus, death, resurrection, ascension, and so forth, and people seeing Jesus, witnessing him. 
And I preached on that, but I dwelt on the love of God for every person in this world. And I really talked to great length about how much God loves us and He cares for us and He wants to see us fulfilled and He wants to see us saved and, and redeemed from our sin because He loves us no matter who we are. I dwelt on that. And then we had the Lord's Supper. Can you imagine 27 men sitting there who are brand new believers? They've never read the New Testament. They don't know much about it yet. And we tell them we're going to have the Lord's Supper. Well, they say, where's all the food? You know, there must be a banquet here somewhere. And then we give them a little piece of bread about that big Arab bread and a little drink of grape juice. Uh, they must have been very confused. But we went on to explain and held up that, that grape juice and said, this is a symbol of the blood of Jesus poured out on the cross when Jesus died for our sins, paying the price for the sins that we, for the sin that is in us. And this little piece of bread here is just a symbol of the broken body of Jesus on that cross, dying so painfully, giving his life willingly that we might be saved. We went into great detail about that, then served the elements. And I wondered sitting there in that dim light, there's not much light in that capital there, and very dim light, I began to look at all those faces around that room. There was an old man sitting very near me here. He had deep wrinkles in his face, and he, he was, I guess, a shepherd. He'd been out in the sun so much and, and very old. And I saw his eyes glistening in that low light. So I paid attention to him. And first thing you know, there were tears coming down his cheeks. And I looked over here, and here was a man who was holding his elements. We hadn't partaken yet of them. He was looking at them. Then I saw him take a kind of a cloth out of his, out of his pocket, and I saw him wiping the tears from his eyes. And here was a young student over here close to me on this side, and I saw him take his sleeve, and he didn't have a cloth, and he was wiping tears, took his glasses off. And when I looked around, they were all crying. Somehow, they realized what this meant. And I can tell you right now, I'll never have the Lord's Supper again <laughs> that I don't think of that and think of how serious it is to take the Lord's Supper like that. And here are people who are brand new believers, but they grasped what God was doing in their life. After it was over, a man came over to sit down beside me. He said, may I sit with you just and talk a few minutes? I said, yes, spoke perfect English, very good English. He said, I grew up in a Muslim, of course, as all of our people do. And he said, I practically memorized the Quran. And he said, and I've heard uh, all kinds of sermons. But he said, I've never heard the link of love with Allah. We don't talk about a loving Allah. That's not in our, our, our teaching. And he said, I, tonight, I have heard about a God who loves with an eternal love and a sacrificing love. And he said, I, I, I've never experienced that. 
And he said, for so many years, I've hungered for something else. I have not wanted to follow this religion. And more recently to see Christians persecuted and heads cut off and burned to death and all kinds of things happening to me. I began to wonder, who are these Christians that they go through this? Why are they being persecuted so much? He said, I, I don't know anything about the Christian faith. And he said, I, 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 I want to find out. And he said, tonight, when you talked about a God who loves us, he said, that's what I've hungered for all of my life. I've waited to hear something like this. And he said, can I tell you tonight, I want to be a believer in Jesus. I want Jesus to be my Savior. Oh, what a moment that was. I burst into tears, and he did too. And we prayed together, and in that holy moment, this man was born again. <laughs> And this hunger of his soul for so many years was satisfied. What if I hadn't gone? What if that, that missionary that you sent to the field had not gone to that place and begun working with that people group? And here's one man who hungered what that missionary was going to say and came to Christ. What if he hadn't gone? Nobody in that people group would know Jesus today. And God has brought a lot of them to the Lord now. What if, what if we hadn't had that worship service that night and, and his relative invited him to come in and, and worship and find out? What if I had not preached about the love of God that night so he could hear? I don't know if he'd ever have another chance. But God knew, and God knew he was coming. And God brought him to know Jesus. What a precious, precious moment. Have you ever had that experience? I hope you have. There's nothing like bringing somebody to know Jesus and God begins to meet their needs and give them that joy. I'd like to go to uh, one other thing that illustrates. Well, well, what he said, let me say this. He said, when I walked in here tonight, I didn't know but one or two men in here because they're my relatives. But he said, do you know they began to hug me and they began to talk to me. And he said, I have never in my life experienced something like this. He said, I could just see something in these men who are my brothers and brothers uh, who've never acted that way with me. And in this setting, they, I could see something so different about them than anybody I've ever known around me. And he said, they were filled with love. He said, nobody ever hugged me before. And he said, it just felt good to be with people who accepted me and who loved me. Transparency, transparency. One clear motive, you see. I want to tell, share this one story here. In a country where I worked for quite a long time, and I'm trying not to say that word, the name of that country, because I don't want to get back there. But... I, Sometimes I slip a little bit, and uh, you know, 85, you, you're, you're allowed to make a mistake occasionally, you know. And uh, anyway, I'm trying not to. If I do, just, just say, I forgot it. I, I, don't, I didn't hear it. But in this country, it's, it's, a, very, it's a very difficult country, really. And uh, uh, I was teaching underground for over 12 years, secretly taking eight believers into a place where the police were not likely to know. 
I'd spent all my life trying to stay out of jail, and here I am almost asking to get in jail. Uh, but I'm gathering these eight for like, like two days. If I stayed longer, somebody would report it. We'd all be arrested. So I did that for 12 years, meeting in these little secret places. And uh, someone reported me to the police in the capital city of that country, the national police. And they sent some people down to, to the city where I was living, almost said it, to the city where I was living. And they began to question everybody around me. Who is this man? What does he do? What he, why is he here? All these kinds of things. And then they began to come to me and say, look, you're in deep trouble. The police know who you are. We've tried not to say that you're a teacher of religion or Christian or anything like that. We've just tried to talk about who you are as a good man and this kind of thing. And they said, but we think you might ought to leave the country before they do something to you. But I went to the head of the of the Baptist believers in that country. And I said, can you get me an appointment with the highest person in the police that I can get to? Uh, I'd like to just be able to lay my case out to him. He tried. He said, I don't think that's a good idea. He said, they're very mean people. He said, I don't think you would need to be with them, but I'll try. A week later, I got this gruff voice on the phone in that language saying, you will meet me at this address at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. Bring your passport. And he hung up. I didn't even get to reply. I didn't sleep that night. Next morning, I showed up at that address, a huge barbed wire facility. I was taken into a room, and someone came in and sat on the other side of the table. And I determined I was going to tell the truth to every question he asked, because if I... If I didn't tell, if I told a lie, uh, it, he would ask the same question later, and I wouldn't remember the lie I told, <laughs> and it would be different. He was recording the whole thing. So I said, I'm going to tell the truth at every question and just let it go, whatever it is. And after a, a drilling, grueling time, he asked me this question. He said, why do you really come to this country? What do you really come here to do? What, what are you really trying to accomplish here. Noitakdi. Tell the truth, he said. And I said, I'm so glad you asked me that question. I've been waiting for that question. I said, I love these people. And I've served the, the Lord among them for a long time. And, and I love the pastors. And they've had no one to teach them for years and years and years. They have no school. They have no training programs. They're just trying to do their best. And I have the language, I have the credentials to teach, and, uh, and I love them so much. And I, I just wanted to help these pastors to know how to be good pastors. And if I can't do that, if I've got to go back to America and sit on my porch, and I'd rather just die. I'd rather die if I can't be here. And he was shocked at that looked at me a long time and then after a while he responded he said you see this file here it was a real thick file he said that's everything you've ever done in this country <laughs> we know who you are and he said uh, we've asked people about you and they say two things he said I want to tell you what they say number one they say you speak our language like one of us 
And I said, no, that would be impossible. I'd study all my life and not do that. He said, no. He said, you're the first foreigner I've ever questioned without an interpreter, and I've understood everything you've said. Number two, he said, they all say that you have a special love for our people. And then he sat there, and he drummed his pencil on the table for a long time, looking at me, and he said, I think I can see that. And he said, I don't want you to come here illegally anymore. And I'm the one who can help you to come legally and teach our people. Boy, it was like the Holy Spirit had just descended on that room and had this atheist, high-ranking communist police officer was saying, I'd like to help you to come here legally. That was in November. In January, I got an email in Richmond where I was living, and he said, your papers crossed my desk this morning, and I was very happy to sign them. You are now an official professor of religion in our country. Can you believe that? That's a miracle. That's God's miracle. And from that point on, I just had a favor with them. And they helped me in many, many ways. And uh, I found out later that I'm the only one they've ever given that privilege to. And I, I just can't believe. But you see, that's the way God works, isn't it? He works in miracles. And what did he see? He saw a certain transparency that God had helped me and led me to try to accomplish in that country to just be a reflector of who Jesus is and to love with the love that God placed in my heart, not human love, but God's love that filled my life. And, and everybody could see it. It's that transparency and that one agenda, not political agenda, not involved in the social uh, things of that country, but one agenda to help people to know Jesus and to follow him. You see, Paul said, you know how we conducted ourselves in the world? You saw it. My conscience testifies to that, that I behaved myself in the world with simplicity, <laughs> with one agenda, and with transparency so that people could see Jesus in us. I want to ask you today, what do people see when they see you? And what do they think? Do you ever ask that question? You, you name the name of Jesus, and you're following Him. You're part of the church. But does anybody else know it? Do the people you work with know it? Perhaps they do. And I hope so. Are you transparent? And does that transparency express the love that God has for those people you relate to, whether it's in the workplace or in the home or wherever you are? And I pray that one of these days, if you haven't had that privilege, you'll have the privilege of helping someone to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then they become transparent and live before men so people can praise the Lord. And have you believed yet 
Do you know Jesus yet? Oh, what a church. I couldn't sit here five minutes without coming forward down here and saying, I want to believe in Jesus. I mean, this is, this is that kind of church. And I want to tell you, don't resist anymore. Life is too short. You've got to come to know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior in a society and culture in which we're living today. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice this morning in your presence with us. And Lord, as I stand here, I just feel your spirit in this room. And oh, Father, we thank you because in ourselves we have nothing to offer. But you come into us and make us who we are, new creations, because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us and his resurrection. So, oh God, may your spirit just move over this congregation now. May decisions be made that need to be made because you're with us, Lord, and you're leading. And oh God, we're so thankful for this church that is sending out these people even now commissioning and then people all over this world out of this church being transparent so people can come to know our Father, our God, our Lord, our Savior. And it's in His precious name that we pray. Amen.